This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Can we give it up for Jesus? The author, you may be seated, the author and the finisher of our faith. Um, I am grateful for this house. Pastor Candy said it. Um, I, I got to CLC and uh, they had just finished building this particular sanctuary. Um, they were, everyone was over in the other building where the youth have services now. That was the sanctuary for the adults. And uh, when I got here, they had just finished building this building. There were many people in the church at that time that gave their all for where you're seating. A lot of single mothers, a lot of single parents, a lot of faithful people, maybe about 800 at the time or something like that, faithful people that made a sacrifice so that you can come into this house today. And sometimes we don't know what we are, on the, we are on the recipient side of, we don't know the sacrifice that it took to get us here. We just reap the benefits of it. A lot of those people have since gone on to be with the Lord. Many, many, many of them are moved away because they're elderly now. Um, and some of them are even watching us online. And so I'm grateful for this house and what this house means. It's not just a building. It's a people of faith. It's a people of sacrifice. I believe that whatever CLC is going to receive as far as a revival is concerned, it's not just because we've prayed. It's because 20, 30, 40 years ago, others also prayed. Sweat. I mean, with everything they had, believing God that the people will feel, will experience a revival through this house. And isn't that what we're believing God for? That he would send the fire. That he would send a latter rain. A latter rain, there's a former rain and a latter rain. The former rain is what you use to dig up the soil, soften the soil, and you plant your seed in the time of former rain. September, October. But then there's a latter rain that takes place around spring. And what happens in the latter rain is that you reap a harvest in the latter rain. We're believing God for a latter rain. We're believing God for a harvest. And I'm not just, I'm not talking about harvest of things. I'm not talking about harvest of the car you want and the house you're believing God for and it's on your faith goals. It's a faith goal. We're not believing God. I know, I know, I know, you, you probably are, but I'm just kind of dismantled that for a minute. I'm praying that we're going to get a harvest of souls. Of people that are lost. Your grandchildren, your children, your spouse, you. A harvest of souls. Well, why should we want a harvest of soul and not a harvest of cars? Because souls are eternal. 
And in five, six, seven years, whatever, you're going to want a new car. I'm believing God that there's a sound that he is reverberating throughout the earth. There's a sound. And I'm not going to tell you what it is. You got to come back tonight to hear what that sound is. There's a sound, though. I'm serious on that. There is a sound. There is a word that God is communicating to the earth. But it's not just to the world. You know who God is communicating that word to? His church. His bride. And the scripture says, he who has an ear to hear. Why, what does that mean? Because you could have an ear, but you can't hear. He, she, who has like, really, he, she. Okay, he or she, let me say that, who has an ear to hear, let them hear what the Spirit of the Lord has to say to his church. Why is God, whenever God is, and this is not the sermon, I, yeah, we're going to get to that. But whenever God is communicating something over and over Again, you, you go to Florida, it's the same message. You go to Arizona, it's the same message. You go to Africa or South Africa, it's the same message. You go over in Vienna and, and Europe, it's the same. Whenever you see God is communicating the same thing over and over again, do you know what that means, church? It's a warning. Y'all with me this morning? It is a warning. In God's grace, in God's mercy, and in God's love, you know what he does? He warns us. Tonight, we're going to go in. Listen, if you got any unsaved loved ones, no, 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 not just unsaved loved ones. Forgive me, Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring them too. Bring them. But, um... If you got saved loved ones, you know, those who, you know, they read their Bible, they pray all the time, and they're covered in blessed oil, bring them. Because the message that the Lord has for tonight is for his church. And it is a warning. I wept. Pastor Elena gave, allowed me to use her house because my house is underneath some remodeling and so I, I was able to go to there for a couple days and I'm so glad no one was in that house. I wept and I wept. There was one day I couldn't even write the sermon. I just wept the entire time. Why? Because I'm part of the problem. Because the word is also for me. Because God is speaking to my heart. Because sometimes we think we're so good. We got it all right, Lord. I'm yielding. I'm submitting. And we don't understand that there's besetting sins that's in our lives that we've allowed to creep in. And you say, well, the Holy Spirit hasn't convicted me. He is convicting you, but you're desensitized to it. 
So the conviction that's coming in, all of a sudden you don't feel it anymore. You become familiar with your sin. The Lord had to deal with me. So this is no condemnation on any one of us, on any of you in this house. But here's the thing. The Lord has put an indictment out against his church. And so, I don't know if you had planned on, maybe now you're, you're probably just gonna say, well, I'm not coming tonight. <laughs> like, I cry enough, I ain't trying to cry. <laughs> no, but I hope you'll, um, it's a good word. I hope you'll, and pray for me, pray for me that I would deliver that word with, um, with sincerity of heart, with compassion, with love, um, and in transparency that the word will be delivered. And the Bible says, as the rain comes down and the snow comes down, and it does what it's supposed to do, so is my word that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return void. And so my prayer is, as, as the word is released, it will not return void, but it will fall on soil that is able to receive it, and it take root bearing fruit that leads to a transformed life. Amen? Amen. Uh, thank you, uh, Pastor Candy, for that lovely, I don't know, where, okay, I see her. <laughs> Candy and I go way back. She's, she's Candy. And um, I love her so much. Uh, our prayer times, I mean, we just, we, 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 we cool. We just, we understand. We understand. And we both have a, a passion for God's kingdom. We both, I think the problem with both of us, we both, we have a passion to, to get out of here. <laughs> So both of us would be like, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to go back to, can we go to heaven? Like, can God take us now? Like, get me out of this. And then we're like, no, God needs us here. We need to preach the word. We need to go be light in the midst of darkness. Uh, so, but anyway, we just, we just have a good old time. Um, I do want to give honor to my husband. He's here. Uh, Ben's is a behind the scenes kind of guy. And, um, but majority of my, my sermons, uh, he helps me with my sermons, right? So sometimes he's helping. I'm like, why don't you preach it? <laughs> you should preach that. <laughs> and he's like, oh, no, 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 no. You go ahead and do that. <laughs> so um, we're going to be married for almost 20 years. That's my, that's my, my boo. We got married when I was real little, like two years old. No, I'm just joking. Um, but that's my best friend. We dated in high school, went our separate ways. I went to prison. He did not. How does that happen? I know some of y'all don't know me. You're like, what? Did she just say prison? Long story. Anyway, I got a book in the lobby. But um, went to prison. <laughs> you saw how I just kind of, Amanda, you saw I, I just snuck that in right there. You know, get the book in the lobby. Give it up for Amanda. She handles, you know, she... Hook that thing up. Yeah. I was like, she always make me look better than I am. She, she, anyway, that's a whole nother story. I'm like, you're going to lie to these people. They're going to hear me and I'm just going to be like, womp, womp, womp. Give it up to my girl, Amanda. Nenin. Um, we're going to get to the word. Y'all are like, hurry up. Father, we thank you that we're allowed to come in this house.
We weren't persecuted for coming here. We're not under the threat of losing our lives for coming in here. We get to sit in the comfort of air conditioning. And what rattles us in comparison to the world outside the United States, we get rattled when a microphone doesn't work. When in so many places, there's no such thing. Lord, forgive us, because we're often so um, caught up in the peripheral. We're so caught up in the things that really don't matter, and we lose sight of the things that are eternal. Lord, we just come with a repentive heart today. We just ask that you would forgive us, Lord. For taking what is sacred and profaning it and our lifestyle choices and how we treat one another. We talk about you and how much we love you, but then we work against the people who are created in your image. Lord, we are undeserving of you, but by your mercy and your grace, Paul said, I am who I am only by the grace of God. And I echo those sentiments. Let your word come forth now in spirit and in truth. I've prayed, but we need your power. I've studied, but we need your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We have been in a, um, a sermon series called Shift. We've been looking at several themes uh, pertaining to this concept of shift. And we saw that to shift means to change position, to change direction, to change focus, to change even our perspective. But ultimately, a shift means to move. Since then, we've parked in the book of Acts, which in most Bibles, you would see a heading that says the Acts of the Apostles. But really and truly, that's an incorrect heading. It should say the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because there's no chapter in the book of Acts in which the Holy Spirit is not expressed or mentioned specifically. And so we look at the early church, we see the movement of God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. There is no early church without the Holy Spirit. There is no now church without the Holy Spirit. Oh, we can gather in our name. We can sing songs in our name. But if the Holy Spirit is not a part of the word that is preached, the music that is sung, the instruments that are played, the services that happen in the lobby, in every aspect of the worship experience, if the Holy Spirit is not a part of that, we have not had church. We had entertainment. And so in everything that we do, what we are going to need is God's spirit. And so we've been parked in the, in the book of Acts, and we will continue to go into the book of Acts even after this Sunday. We looked at what enables us to shift, which is the power of the Holy Spirit. We then looked at God, at how God shifts us and how he does it spiritually in our lives. And last week, we, we heard from Pastor Tom what will hinder God's shifting in our lives. 
And we know the answer to that was that resisting of the Holy Spirit will hinder God from shifting, shifting our lives. But the truth of the matter is all the shifts that we're talking about, whether it's the shift of the spirit or the shift of our perspective or the shift of our focus, all of that, what God is trying to do in our lives and with our lives ultimately points to God's mission in the earth. God has a mission. I don't know if you know that, but God's ultimate mission is a redemptive one. Is it not, Pastor Sean? Is redemption. That is God's ultimate. You are here, if you're a true believer, you are here as a recipient of God's mission in the earth. Because God's mission is to redeem mankind to himself. So in his redemptive plan, he sent his son to give his life as a ransom. Jesus was pure, without sin, without blemish, and he died a sinner's death for you and for me and for those that are watching online. He died a sinner's death in our place. And so whosoever puts their faith, their trust, and believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And this is what is called the good news. Well, why is it so good? Because on your best day, we deserve hell. Y'all ready this morning? Okay, I just want to make sure I'm in the right place. On our best day... We deserve hell. There's nothing good in you and me. There's nothing that we can say, well, I deserve God's goodness. I deserve God. You woke up this morning, I don't even know if you thought about God, and the scripture says his mercies were renewed to you just when you opened your eyes. That is the God, the mercy of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God that the Bible says he lavishes upon your life and upon my life. And here's why it's good news, you didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. None of your good deeds were ever good enough. Your righteousness was as filthy rags. And God saw it good. For God so loved that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, I am not from this camp that believes only people get to be saved. He said, whosoever will, whosoever, meaning any and anybody who would believe and trust and put their hope in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross is a part of the whosoever will. This is the good news. And for whatever reason, God chooses to use ordinary lives like yours and mine to be an agent of this mission in the earth. So someone invited you into relationship with Lord. Someone was praying for you. Someone invited you to a service or whatever. Someone spoke to you about the goodness of God. Somewhere along the line, you heard the redemptive love of God and you yielded yourself to it. And God used someone in that regard. He uses our circumstances and our situations, our everyday living and being for this mission. As, as sons and daughters of God, we are commissioned to take the good news, to exemplify the good news, to live out the good news before a lost and a dying world. To be what? To be salt and light. Doesn't matter our occupation. 
Doesn't matter our background, our ethnicity, our economic or educational status, even our trials and our challenges, God will repurpose it and use it for his glory to redeem mankind in the earth. He used Joseph's enslavement and imprisonment for his mission. Well, what was his mission? To free the children of Israel from captivity. He used Esther while she was in exile in Susa for his mission. Well, what was that mission? To save his people from annihilation. He used Gideon while he was hiding in a wine press, being oppressed by the Midianites to save his people from oppression. We serve a God who is always on mission, and he wants to use your life, he wants to use my life in his redemptive plan. The mission of God filters through a, a surrendered life. The key to being used in God's mission is that we must yield and surrender our lives to Christ. And Candy said it earlier, not just as Savior, but as Lord. He takes control. My will belongs to him. My desires belongs to him. My choices and my lifestyle. But I know you heard the message that you know you could just do whatever you want. And God is love. He is love. And that's why in his love, he calls you to leave that lifestyle and come and follow me. He didn't say, come and follow my uncle. Come and follow yourself. Come and follow your desires. He told Peter, drop your net and follow We know that, but are we doing it? I know some of you are in here saying, well, I know I'm following Jesus. I, I don't want to ask you. I want to ask Jesus. I would like to know from Jesus, is so-and-so following you? Am I truly following you? The fact that Jesus sought you and saved you, oh, Lord, taking your death and giving you his life must be an ongoing truth that infiltrates every aspect of your life if we truly say we're followers of Jesus. One of the greatest revealers of this truth, one of the greatest tellers of this truth is how we walk as sons and daughters of God in times of great difficulty. When the trials are hot against you. When it feels like you are in a fiery furnace. Is he still Lord and Savior then? When you've been tithing, but you just lost your job. Is he still Lord and Savior? When you've been praying and believing for your healing and so-and-so gets healed and you're still waiting on yours. And you've been serving the Lord, and they're not. When you did what he told you to do, and now you're being mistreated for it, is he still Lord? You see, because to be, for him to be Lord and Savior over our lives, it must be regardless of the season I'm in, victory or defeat, valleys or mountains, marriage, single or divorce, job or no job, the, the season doesn't dictate the Lordship of my God. No, the Lordship of my God dictates how I walk through my season. But you see, he's only Lord until he stops doing the thing that I want him to do. Or he's only Lord until I, need, I meet a new boo. Oh, 
haven't seen you in church in a while. Yeah. What happened? You know, remember you told me new year, new you, and you were going to be all in the Lord. I just want to get deep in the Lord. I just want, I want to study the Bible, uh, fascinating, and I just want to, I want to grow in the Lord. But what, what happened? How are we going to grow in the Lord if you're not? Well, I, you know, I met somebody, and he said he, he's spiritual. He ain't into all of that stuff. Spiritual? What, what does that mean? Well, you know, he just don't believe in, in organized religion. Okay, organized religion. Okay, but what does he got to say about Jesus? Oh, but I asked him if, if he believed in God, and he said, yeah, God is everywhere. God, what? Y'all be surprised, and probably some of y'all who said this, but. Now all of a sudden, Jesus isn't Lord anymore because I met Boo Tony and he's cute. And he said he's spiritual. And he don't gotta come to church to believe in the Lord. Does he go to a football game? Yeah, why? Because he loves football, okay. So why not go to the church? Because the word of God says so. Forsake not the assembling of the saints and the gathering together. Why not? Why not go to church when you're around the people of God, the faith of God, the love of God, worshiping God? Why not then? If it's all about God. Oh man, but we get tripped up. And you may think, oh, that's, that's, that, that doesn't happen, Pastor Nadine. Oh, yes, it does. And it's a slow fade. Before you know it, the person is slowly fading away. And I don't believe that you have to come to church to be a Christian. Don't get me wrong, because there's a lot of people that are in church. Coming to church does not make you saved. But many times it is a result of the fact that I have been saved. And this is why I'm gathering with the body of Christ. That was a soap dish. I don't want to get stuck there. <laughs> As we continue in the book of Acts, we come across a narrative that depicts God using challenges for his greater purpose. I want to, I want to get to that and then we'll, we'll close out. The backstory of this, we're going to read it, but the backstory of this is that Paul is on, if you know the Apostle Paul, he wrote about a third of the New Testament He's, he's on his, his second missionary journey. But before his second missionary journey, he had a first missionary journey. I want us to see how God uses our trials and our circumstances for his redemptive work. And he wants to use your circumstance and your situation and your life for his redemptive work. See, because we're not just meant to live this Christian walk in the building. How are they going to see your light if you're just among light? We are meant to take the light of Jesus Christ that's on the inside of us out into a lost and dying world. So what does that mean on the job? You were working in the hospital, in the hospital. First responder, among your work. In the classroom, in the courtroom, I mean, wherever, Publix, wherever you work, you are supposed to take the, you don't cut it off when you leave the building. But what we find is those who profess Christ are not living out their Christian profession, professing in the world. How will they know? God placed you in that department so you can be a light to that coworker. 
but you keep dimming your light to fit in. God didn't put you there to fit in. He placed you there to be a light because he wants to redeem that coworker that's in an abusive relationship that's going home every night thinking of how she can take her life. And here you are trying to dim your light. Woo! God help me get through this message. The Apostle Paul, on his first missionary journey, he goes out with Barnabas and John Mark, and he's um, ministering in an area called Asia Minor. This is modern-day Turkey. He's ministering in that area. Of, you know, Paul got saved. He used to persecute believers, and now the same Jesus he used to persecute people for, he's now preaching about that Jesus. So now he gets saved, and he's taking his, the message of hope into a lost and dying world. So he's in Asia Minor. Majority of the gospel that was done at that time was all done on the continent of Asia. Okay, and we're talking about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean that God, Yahweh, Old Testament, the Torah, and all of that wasn't on other continents. It was, but we're talking about Jesus now, the early church, and he's sending them out. Well, it was predominantly at that time done on the continent of Asia, and Paul was a pioneer in that. And so he's sharing the gospel all in all this region, and people are being saved. People are being added to the kingdom of God. Lives are being transformed, and as a result, he would plant churches. So the people who say, well, we just don't believe in, he planted churches. Well, why is he going to plant church? Because the church was not man's idea. The church of Jesus Christ is God's idea. Jesus said, and I will build that wasn't a man's statement. That was God's statement. All right? So now they're being fruitful, and the church of Jesus Christ is advancing. Five years later, one day he's sitting down, and he says, I'm going to go back and check on the churches that we planted. So he says to Barnabas, and there was a little disagreement, and so Barnabas went um, into uh, um, um, west, and Paul starts going east, and he takes with him Silas to go back and strengthen those churches. And everywhere he's trying to go where he's planting churches, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit blocked him. He's trying to do the work of the Lord, and the Holy Spirit is blocking him. Whenever you have a vision from God, when there is a plan from God, it's not supposed to be done in your work, in your power, in your strength, in your ability. You're going to need God to accomplish that vision. It could be a great vision, but if God didn't give it to you, he's going to come in the way and say, where are you going with this vision? This is not my vision. This is not my plan. This is why we constantly want to pray and ask God for his will, for his purpose, for his vision. It could be a great plan, but it's not God's. So he's going and the Holy Spirit keeps blocking him. And then finally, he goes down to Troas and he receives a message from the Lord through a vision. And the Lord said, I want you to go to Macedonia. Macedonia, he was trying to reach cities, Galatia, all these areas over here in Asia Minor. God wanted him to go to Macedonia. What's the big deal about Macedonia? For the first time, Paul was taking the gospel to the continent of Europe. Paul wanted cities. God saw a continent. 
that God was trying to reach. He would have other disciples go into those cities Paul was going to, but Paul's assignment was to take the mission to Macedonia. This is now Paul's second journey. He gets to Macedonia. He's with Silas, Timothy, and Luke, who wrote the um, book of Acts and the Gospel of Luke. And in Europe, and the first person recorded as receiving the Gospel of Jesus Christ on the continent of Europe, according to the Bible, is a woman named Lydia. Paul witnesses to her. She's a seller of purple. She's very wealthy. God opens her heart. The scripture says, you're praying for your loved one. Pray that. God, would you open their heart? God opens her heart, and her entire household is saved. While Paul is ministering there, he's walking around, and there's a demon-possessed girl that's following him around. Paul cast the demon out of a slave girl. For what? What was her demon? I want to say this in this church. Divination, fortune-telling, tarot cards, psychic readings. Is that what we're doing, church? Having people read our palms? Psychic readings, tarot cards? The Bible says it's demonic. You go and sit before those people, you just made an alliance with a demon. And you're wondering, why am I feeling oppressed? Why am I feeling stuff in my house? You just cracked the door. And so Paul casts the spirit out of her, and the people, her masters, were unhappy because the, her freedom disrupted their pockets. She made a whole lot of money for them. So in rage, they bring Paul and Silas, and they drag them out into the marketplace before authorities, and they said, these men are teaching customs that are unlawful for Romans. And this is where we pick up Acts chapter 16, and we're going to read it together. Know this. When we connect our lives to God and his mission, even the thing that looks like it's wrong or bad or seem like or feel like defeat, God will repurpose it for his greater glory. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what the circumstance in your life right now. But what I'm trying to tell you is whatever the enemy means for evil, God will turn that thing around and use it for his good. We're going to see this right now with our brothers, Paul and Silas. Read Acts 16, 22 to 34. They're probably going to have it on the screen. If y'all see it come up on the screen, just say it's on. Oh, man, that was good. It was real good. Okay, we're going to read it. We're going to read it. Acts 16, 22 to 34. Then the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates. Y'all going to have to tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison. This is Paul and Silas, commanding the jailer to keep them. Securely, having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, somebody say midnight. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, somebody say suddenly. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, somebody say immediately. 
all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison awakened from sleep and seeing prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Pause. The church didn't give an altar call. The man gave himself an altar call. What must I do to be saved is what this man cried out. Okay? Wait. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Father, we thank you for your word. It is truth, it is power, it is life. Lord, it cuts between bone and marrow. It reveals the intent of our heart. We are so grateful, God, that we get to be used of you, that you commission us, that you call us. But not only that, you saved us and you put your spirit on the inside of us. Lord, I pray that every person under the sound of my voice in this room or online will be pierced by your truth, not to harm us, but to change us, to transform us, to mold us and make us into the image of the Son. Jesus Christ. We honor you, Jesus. We lift you and we glorify you. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. amen and amen. For the most part, most of us, we go through situations in life. For the most part, we go through situations in life, negative consequences as a result of something that we've done. We're reaping the, the results of poor choices and poor actions. But how do you feel when you are being severely punished for doing nothing wrong? when you were actually doing right. This is Paul and Silas' situation. God calls them to go to Macedonia. They're doing just that. And the Bible said that they ended up getting beaten with rods. We can skip over that, beaten with rods. You're talking about big, thick sticks. The Roman way of beating with rods, they will use a massive person or persons. And they will lay, the Bible says, multiple blows on your body. Their goal is not to kill you. It's to severely inflict such pain on you that you would have broken ribs, broken bones, making it very difficult for you to move. So when you're beaten with rods, you almost feel like you'd rather die than stay alive. They got this because they were doing what God told them to do. And then they were imprisoned, an inner prison. Their foot, feet are in stocks. Their hand was more than likely chained to the concrete wall behind them. Their backs are open with flesh exposed, leaned against that concrete wall. It's empty, it's dark, it's a, it's a cell, perhaps rats. And this is where Paul and Silas is. But your circumstances, we do not allow it to dictate our praise. See, this kind of stuff will mess, mess some people's theology up. Because we often say, well, if all I got to do is follow Jesus and everything is going to be all right. All I got to do is tithe 
and my finances are going to be okay. All I got to do is do all the right thing, live righteously, and my life will be a bed of roses, which the Bible does not promise. And if that was the case, all the apostles were living unrighteously. Do we see how they died? And what many of them suffered? Read about some of their trials and their death. Believers in China and Iran right now that are being killed for their faith. What do we say to them? Just believe more. Believe more. They're risking their lives for what they believe. When was the last time you did that? Or I? No, Jesus said in this world there will be trouble. He said, they hated me, so therefore they're going to hate you. And just because you follow Jesus does not exempt you from problems in this world. It promises that he will be with you in it, and he will see you through it. Can somebody say amen? amen. I remember, um, you know, we're talking about how God will use negative circumstances and negative situations in our lives. And, and it's so important that we understand that and we get a right perspective of that. Because when we don't understand that God may want to use my trial, when I'm in it, I may miss God opportunities. God is in the midst of my trial and he wants to use my trial for his purpose and for his glory. But I'm so soaking in God fix it, God change it, God stop it. And God is saying, no, I want to use it. I remember one time I, I did a women's conference in the Cayman Island, and I was flying back to Florida. Got on this plane and going to my seat. When I got to my seat, a gentleman was in the seat. And I said, um, excuse me, very nicely. My husband would say I didn't, but I did, very nicely. Excuse me. <laughs> You're in my seat. I probably didn't say it like that, but, you know. You're, um, think, you know, I think that's my seat. And he's like, oh, I know, you can sit in my seat. <laughs> um, excuse me. <laughs> I don't want to sit in your seat. <laughs> can I just sit in my seat? He's like, no, I'm with my family. You know, it would be good if you could. And he did want to, waved me off. You know, sit in, sit in my seat. <sighs> The blood of Jesus. <laughs> I could feel, you know, the Brooklyn in me. <laughs> I could feel that thing bubbling up on the inside of me. And I felt like the Holy Spirit tapped me. Nadine, go with the flow. I turned to go in the seat where this man waved me off to go to. And it, it was a center seat. Anybody who knows it, I, I don't like sitting in the center. I like the window seat. I, I don't want people climbing over me and, and doing all that. I don't use the restroom on planes. I, I'm just sitting there, just land this thing. So it's a center seat. I'm like, God will use everything. Even the thing that you think is an inconvenience, God will repurpose it for his greater purpose. So I go and I sit in this center seat. I'm like on the inside, oh, oh, oh you know. And the plane is starting to close up. So I was like, oh, there's no one sitting to my right. Oh, favor. Praise the Lord. God just repurposed this and no one's sitting to my right. I'm going to scoot over as soon as they start taking off. And so I'm sitting there. I'm all happy. Then I see this guy coming down. I said, please, don't let, don't let him be. No, 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 no. Lord, no. Let him keep going. Let him keep going. And he's, he's all like. And I'm like, no, 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 not him. No, Lord, please. 
please let this man keep going. And then he comes, oh, I think this is my seat. And he plops down in the seat. Jesus. So he's sitting there. He's like, oh, this is going to be a great ride, right? It's going to be a great ride. I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so he said, so the lady's going up. He said, oh, um, when you come back, you know, can I get some drinks? Because a, a, a brother got to have some fun on this plane. I was like, oh, Lord Jesus. So anyway, so the lady said, okay, sir, you know, when we do on our, because it was a short flight, came into Florida. So it was a short flight. They don't do the dinner and all that stuff. But you could buy alcohol. So the, and I'm not knocking alcohol, okay? This is not a knock on alcohol. But this was this guy's situation even before he got on the plane. His situation was alcohol. So I'm sitting there, so the lady comes here, can I take your order? He said, I want four bottles of this and three bottles of that. And I'm like, wow. So he's like, and I'm buying a drink for the, for the young lady. I said, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> oh, God. I'm, I'm okay, I'm good. He's like, oh, sure, you, you want a drink? You, I was like, no, he's like, you don't drink? So I, I said, you know, no. I said, he's like, oh, you wanted, I said, no, I just, I'm just not into drinking, whatever the case may be. So he's like, well, what do you do, Jen? I was like, well, I like ginger ale. He's like, get her a ginger ale. I didn't say I, I'm good. I don't, want, I don't want to use the bathroom. I'm not trying to drink anything. So, so anyway, so the lady's taking a while. This guy dozes off. Yes. Praise Jesus. So I'm there reading my book. The guy is sleeping, reading my book. Here comes the lady. Sir! Here are all your drinks. So he start, you know, and he, he said, here's your ginger ale. And he started, he go, 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 one after the other, go, go, go. So I was like, all right, praise the Lord. So anyway, I'm trying to read my book. He's like, what are you doing in Cayman Islands? What were you there for? Now, mind you, I told you I'm there for a women's conference, right? So I was like, that's my alarm. <laughs> that's probably you or something. I don't know. But. So anyway, so he's like, what are you going to? I was like, well, you know, I just went to speak. He's like, speak? Speak to who? I was just, just, because I'm not trying to get into this conversation. So I was like, oh, it's just some women. Oh, what, what are you speaking to the women about? Uh, you know, he's like, yeah, like, what were wh wh you talking to them about? Uh, uh, obedience to God. Ooh, obedience to God. That's a deep topic. What, what did you say? I was like, oh, it's a, it's a whole sermon. He, oh, we got time. I was like, okay. I was like, well, then I start telling him. He's like, wow, that's powerful. He was like, so, so what are you? Like, you're, you're a motivational speaker about God? I was like, well, uh, you know, I'm a preacher for God. So he was like, so how did you get into that? Were you raised up and just knowing you were doing that? I was like, raised up. I was like... No, I wasn't raised. He was like, so how did you get into that? <laughs> oh, gosh. So I was like, oh, you know, well, I, I gave my life to the Lord. He's like, gave your life to the Lord? How did you do that? Where did you do it? Where did it happen for you? Okay. Well, I was in prison. Prison! So this guy, <laughs> this guy, loud on the plane, you were in prison? It felt like the entire plane turned around and was looking at me. So I was like, yeah, it's not what you think. So I was like, yeah, I was a girlfriend of a drug lord. A girlfriend of a drug lord! So, so I'm like, shh. he's like, oh yeah, shh, 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 shh. 
you were a girlfriend of the truck lord. So what happened? So I began to tell him about my prison journey and what happened to me and how God used me in the prison and now I'm doing this for God. He was like, this is powerful. You should write a book. So I was like, well, actually, I have a book. He's like, where can I get it? I said, well, it's on Amazon. I said, but I have a copy if you want me to sign it for you. So he was like, okay, yeah. So I signed the copy for him. Now it opens up a door for a conversation. The rest of that flight was spent, he and I, conversing about Jesus Christ. This guy was a prodigal, running from the Lord, raised up in the church. Now he's, um, he's a, and he watches my stuff to this day. He's a, uh, I don't know, if I get it wrong, his name is Jake. If I get it wrong, he, anyway. He goes around to different islands and he emcees on, these, on, on the island. Anyway, so we witnessed to him, I prayed with him. Jake buys 75 of my books. And distributes them in India. He's from India. He distributes them in India. Jake lets me know when he got married, his first child, praying for his marriage, praying for his child. God will use a negative situation and repurpose it. If we will get out of our feelings, get out, out of our offense, get out of what we don't like, and go with the flow and say, God, use it however you want to use it. Why? Because God is about mission. And his mission is the redemptive plan, even for Jake. I was going to tell you what happened at the carousel, but we don't even have time for that. Paul and Silas understood this. Okay, so at the carousel, she said it. Y'all could blame her. So I'm waiting for my luggage at the carousel. This lady walks up to me, weeping, weeping. She said, can you pray for me and my family? She said, I was in the front row before, sitting before you and the gentleman. And I heard your story. And I just want to know if you could pray that. God will meet me the way he met you. Because I'm in my prison right now. And I prayed for that woman at that carousel to receive Jesus Christ into her life. God will use every circumstance for his greater glory. I shared it. All right, I gotta, I gotta I'm gonna run through these points. Paul and Silas understood this in a bloodied mess and chained to uh, a Roman prison wall. And in Acts 16.25, it tells us, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And it can seem unfair that they're in the predicament that they're in, and they may seem stuck in this situation, but their response to their circumstance teaches us a valuable lesson. And that is, it's not about where you are, but what you do where you are. What you do where you are. What did Paul and Silas do? They worship instead of complained. Are you complaining about your circumstance? Are you mumbling and grumbling about your circumstance? They worshiped instead of complained. Now, let me just say this. Worship is not a song. You know, you, you know that, right? Worship is a lifestyle, but it can be exemplified through song. 
Worship unto God can be exemplified in every aspect of your life, in your job, in your home, playing an instrument, singing a song, dancing as you see the worship, lifting up holy hands. Everything you do can be worship unto the Lord. Worship is about God. Complaining is about you. By complaining, I'm not referring to you speaking up about negative situations that need to be corrected. We know that that is okay and it's a legitimate complaint. I'm speaking about complaining that robs us of our perspective. Complaining that robs us of our praise. Complaining is a heart attitude that postures toward murmuring and grumbling. And Philippians 2.14 says, do all things without complaining and disputing. Worship means to ascribe worth to God. It means worth-ship. He is worthy. And so we respond to him from that place. Worship is more than a song. It is a mind that is postured on God. It's a heart that is postured toward God. It's your life being fully surrendered to God. And nothing and no one is worthy of our worship outside of God. It has been said to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination of the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, and to devote the will to the purpose of God. Worship is all about God. Genuine worship looks beyond the crisis of the hour and it sees a God who is worthy still. Genuine worship is costly. It may cause you to have to make sacrifice as the woman of the alabaster box. Genuine worship is not pleased with every twist and bends and turns of life, but it chooses to worship God in spite of the twists and bends and turns of life. Genuine worship knows that the real miracle is the fact that we as flawed individuals get to worship God to begin with. A holy and pure God. No wonder Jesus says, but the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Why? For the Father is seeking such people. How often do you hear the Bible talks about what God is seeking? The Father is seeking such to worship him. Paul and Silas Extend sacrificial worship to God in their circumstance. And I get it, you may be going through a situation right now and you're saying, I, I, don't, I, I, I can't just not acknowledge the problem, the burden. No, you don't ignore it. But Peter tells you what to do. He says, cast your burdens on the Lord, church. Why? You're not meant to carry them. He said to cast them. He said, if you are weary, cast it. Come to me, all who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You don't keep those burdens. He says, no, take mine, because my burden is easy and it is light. See, when we worship instead of complain, our worship becomes our weapon. Whew. The Bible said suddenly, Acts 16, 26 says, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison, everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison awakened from his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. 
their worship released a sound that caused an earthquake which loosened their shackles and opened their prison doors. Are you shackled today, saints? People of God, are you weary? Do you feel like you're enclosed within a prison of your mind, of anxiety, of fear, of your emotion and imprisonment in your marriage, in your health situation? You feel imprisoned. The scripture says they started worshiping and the thing that was imprisoning them had to respond and loose them. Paul and Silas didn't worship just in it. They worshiped their way out of it. They didn't wait for their situation to change. They started worshiping God and giving him the glory in their situation because he's worthy of it whether I'm in prison or out of prison, whether I'm sick in my body or health in my body. He's worthy of my praise whether I got a job or I don't have a job, in plenty or in little. He is still worthy of my praise. They chose to turn their prison into a worship service. They didn't need a microphone. They didn't need AC. They didn't need comfortable seats. They didn't need their, their bed at home, their couch at home. They turned their prison into church and started worshiping God in the midst of their shackles, in the midst of their chains. First Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 says, rejoice always. Paul wrote this from a cell. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And it may seem counterintuitive, it may seem like it doesn't make sense to have a heart of thanksgiving in the midst of a trial, but it may not make sense to you, but God is giving you a right perspective because he's bigger than the trial. He's bigger than the prison. He's bigger than your bank account. He's bigger than the health report. He's bigger than cancer. He's bigger than anxiety. He's bigger than worry. He's bigger. Everything is under his feet. See, we wait for our situation to dictate our worship. We wait for Pastor Charles and the team. When they start singing, that's when I'll start singing. Worship is on the inside of you. Regardless of the circumstance that I'm in, worship, I carry that with me everywhere I go. And worship, when you have the right perspective, God uses it as a strategy. Worshiping God in the middle of your trial communicates, if God be for me, who can be against me? It communicates greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. When I worship God in my trial, it means that I, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm saying I will fear no evil. When I worship in my trial, it communicates the Lord is the light of my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and fell. Though a war rise against me, I will not fear. Though army come against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, 
that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Can somebody say amen? Hallelujah. It means the Lord is my shield and my fortress, my exceedingly great reward. My worship lifts my head to see a God that is enthroned in heaven. Somebody say worship is my weapon. I don't know what Paul and Silas was going through. I just picture them in that cell. I picture the stocks on their feet. I picture the blood that was oozing from their body. I picture them hanging with, from, the, from the iron shackles around their wrists. Wrist. And I don't know who started singing first. I don't know if it was Paul. I'm going to say Silas, because I don't think Paul could sing. It could have been Paul, because, you know, worship is not about the sound of your voice. So it could have been Paul that, that started singing, and it didn't matter where they were, but the sound from their heart went through their mouth, and it hit the heavenlies, and all of a sudden, it got God's attention. And at 12 midnight, everybody was sleeping in that cell, but there was a sound that started coming out from the bottom floor. And I don't know, but I think they started saying about how, how great God is. How great. Come on, can we join them? They started singing, talking about how great their Sing God is. Regardless of what they're going through, they started singing unto God. And their and sound we'll reached the heavens. Yes! Lift it up, church! Hallelujah! They're singing how, how great God is. And then one of them probably just said, you know, it's not about me. It's not about my chains. It's not about what, what I'm going through. And then they switched the song a little bit because now they just want to focus on the greatness of their God. And so they begin to sing. Yes. My God, how great you are. How great, how great you are. Church, sing it! My God, how great you are! How great, how great, how great you are! Look at that circumstance. Look at your situation and sing, sing it unto the Lord. How great He is! My God, how great you are! How great, how great you are! And you know, Pastor Charles, the enemy doesn't like when we worship God. So all of a sudden, I think he started whispering to them. He started reminding them of their chains. He started reminding them that they're in a cell. How dare you worship God in the middle of this cell? How dare you worship God in the midst of your chains? And I believe Paul looked at him and said it didn't matter what was going around him. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Come on, it may look, it may look like I'm surrounded. 
not the worry. Because whatever you focus on becomes the greatness in your life. If we focus on the problem, we see the problem is greater than God. But if we focus on Jesus, we know that there's no sickness he cannot dismantle. His name is greater than. There's power in his name, not in the name of cancer, not in the name of suicidal thoughts, not in the name of anxiety and worry. The power is not in the name of other things. The power is in the name of Jesus. And everything that is under his feet is under your feet. That is the right perspective. And worship lifts your eyes off of you and your problem and it puts it on the one who's greater than me and my problem. I look to the mountains from whence cometh my help. My help don't come from the doctor. My help don't come from the lawyer. My help don't come from the judge. My help comes from the Lord. going to close with this. Worship is your weapon, but worship is also your witness. I'm getting too much feedback up here, Luke. It's also your witness. I'm, they got to fix that. Sometimes what we're going through isn't about us, thank you, but it's about what God wants to do through us. The Bible says that the jailer asked for lights and he rushed in and his question was, sir, what must I do to be saved? See how we act when we're going through trials, how we respond when we're going through circumstances can help somebody else because people are always watching you. They want to know if you really believe in the God that you say you believe in. Do you really trust him? I, I, I mean, I, I heard what you said about him when you got that promotion. But how about when you got that demotion? Is he still God? How about when they give somebody else the position that rightfully was supposed to go to you? Are you still praising and worship? Are you still saying there is power in the name of Jesus? Are you still saying, my God, my God, how great you, you are? Or does it only depend on when things are going right in your life? Paul and Silas used their circumstance as a platform to give God the worship that he was due. The Bible says, David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. No matter what the season is, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Paul and Silas experienced an incredible miracle. But the miracle wasn't just for them. The miracle was for this jailer man and his entire family that got saved in that particular area. See, people see Jesus in you when you, they see how you respond to the prison that you're in. Do you still praise him even though you're going through? The Bible says that the doors opened 
and Paul and Silas didn't make a run for it. I don't know about you, but I probably would have tried that. But Paul and Silas didn't run for it. They stayed and ministered to this jailer. Why? Paul was on mission, and he wanted his life to be used as a redemptive plan towards that jailer. When we don't get in the way, when we don't get in our feelings, when we're not blinded by our circumstance, he will use what the enemy means for evil and turn it around for your good. So I don't know where you are in life right now, but Paul and Silas would tell you, instead of complaining to God to get you out of the situation, consider inviting God into the situation. They would say to you, instead of complaining to God to move you, consider asking God to use you where he has you. Instead of complaining to God about your situation, consider speaking God's truths into your situation. Why? Because death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Maybe this is what God has been asking of you. You said you were waiting for God to move. God says, I was waiting for your praise and your worship. You said, God, if you only fix it. God says, if you will only fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. You said, God, I don't know how I'm gonna get through this. I don't know how you're, turning, you're gonna turn this around. God is saying to you, there is nothing impossible with God. Whatever is impossible with man is possible for God. So maybe what God has been looking for you, he's been looking for your worship. Not worship for what you can get from God. Worship is about what you give to God. I'm giving you everything, God. You heal me or you don't. You save that job or you don't. You give me the promotion or you don't. God, I don't, if you fix it or if you don't, I'm giving you, I'm yielding to you, I'm surrendering to you. You can have it all, God. I give you my soul, I give you my life, I give you my being. Lord, I've been worshiping my circumstance. And what you've been asking of is for me to worship you in spite of my circumstance. And so right now, I want us to lift up a worship unto God. I want us to begin to praise and honor God. I want us to begin to glorify God, to magnify God. I don't want you to ask God to fix anything. I don't want you to ask God to give you anything. I want you to use this moment, not for what you can get from him, but for what you give to him. Don't worry about the other stuff. God will handle that. He will handle your life. He will handle the circumstance. What he wants from you is what Paul and Silas gave to him. He wants your worship. Can we do that right now? We're going to be led by Pastor Charles and the team, and we're just going to worship God for a minute. You worthy of it all. Amen, amen, amen. All over this room. You worthy of it all. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. For from you are We worship you, Lord. And to you We exalt you, Jesus. You, you are so worthy. The glory. We bless your name. My soul, we bless your name. You we extol you, Lord. 
We extol you, Lord. We thank you for you your goodness. When you could have left us in our sin, but your mercy reached down into the miry pit of our lives. And you stretched forth your mighty right hand and you pulled us out. And so we lift the worship all on the balcony. Come on, I want to hear you. Come on, lift up your voice. Lift up your voice. Yes, 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 yes. Unto you, Lord Jesus. Unto you, Lord Jesus. We exalt you, Lord Jesus. We extol your name, Lord Jesus. There's none like you, Lord. You are worthy of our praise, oh God. Yes, There's none like you. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, our God deserves our highest praise. Sokora. a mother there's a mother that's in here and you don't know where your child is you don't know where your child is and the Lord says to you mother be still I see her it's a daughter the Lord says to you, be still. My eyes are on her. And in due season, I will draw her back home. And while she's out, I'll put a hedge around her. You've been worried about what's happening to her, what she's involved in. And the Lord says, I hear your weeping. I hear your weeping. And I put a hedge around her, a shield around her, 
and I will draw her home. Here's what the Lord says to you. Keep your eyes on me. I don't know why I'm looking in this area, but I sense this in this area. The Lord says to you, keep your eyes on me. Exalt me. Worship me. Praise me. Remember that I'm bigger than the straying of your daughter. I'm bigger than where you think she is. I'm bigger than what you think is happening to her. I am with her in the miry clay. And the Lord says, just as I brought you out, I will bring her out. Just as I've been faithful in your life, I will be faithful in your life. Worthy is his name. Because worthy is your name. Come on. Yes, Lord, you deserve. Worthy is your, worthy is your name. Worthy is your name. Jesus, you deserve. Praise. Worthy is your name. One more time. Worthy is your name. Worthy is your everyone to stretch your hand towards this lady I don't know her or her name Michelle but she's the woman about her daughter and I want us to pray for her I want us to lift her up I want us to stand in a gap for her especially if you were once a parent that had their child missing but the Lord brought your child back to you and prodigal, and the Lord brought your prodigal back to you, you should be the first ones over here. Why? Because you know what it's like. You know about the sleepless nights worried about your child. You know about the sleepless nights wondering what is happening to that child. But the Lord brought your child back to you. So I want us to pray for this woman. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, sister. You could touch her. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, women of God. Just... Just circumference her. Lord, we pray your peace. Thank you, women. Thank you. Thank you. We pray your peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, you, you brought her out. You picked her out because you have a plan concerning her child. Lord, let your plan for her child come to greater fruition than the enemy's plot against her child. Right now, we call forth that child to come home in the name of Jesus, to come out of your miry clay, to come out of your pit and come back home in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, take that child by the hand and bring her into the hands of this mother in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Everyone in this room, everyone in this room that has a prodigal child, mother, father, grand, grandmother, 
grandfather, if you know you have a grandchild or a child that's out there doing no good, I want you to raise your hand. Raise your hand. No shame. Raise your hand. We're going to stand in the gap for that child right now. I've been there. Raise your hand. See, we're called to stand in the gap for them. We're called to stand in the gap on their behalf. We're called to intercede on their behalf. If you're standing next to a person that's raising their hand, you shouldn't even think twice to go and touch that person and pray for them. I want you to reach your hand towards them, touch their shoulder. I know people are funny these days about touch them and, 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 and intercede. Intercede for that person right now. Intercede for that child. Intercede for that grandchild. Father, in the name of Jesus, we know that you're the God of the backslider. We know that there is no heart that you cannot call home. Lord, the Bible lets us know that you are a, a mind shaper and a heart regulator. Regulate that child's heart into your heart. Draw that child out of the miry clay. Draw that cloud out of the pit of the end where the enemy ensnared for them and thrust them into their mar your marvelous light. Open the eyes of their understanding. We pray a conviction that they will overcome them, that will draw the taste of drugs out of their mouth, that will draw the taste of that addiction out of their lives. We ask for holy conviction. We ask for their deliverance. We ask that they will know that they are loved. If there's any brokenness from the mother or the father, we ask for forgiveness right now in Jesus' name, that you would warm them, that your love will overtake them, and you will draw them back out of the works of the enemy and bring them into your marvelous life. Lord, this is not too hard for you. Right now, pursue them now. Go after them now. Seek them now. Dispatch your angels to them now and draw them out of the hands of the enemy and bring them into your marvelous light. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing it out. Even when I don't see it, even when I don't see it, you work. Even when I don't feel that you work, I don't feel it, you work. Never stop. Never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you work. Even when I don't feel it, you work. You never stop. You never stop working. The Lord is after us. It's more than 
a song we sing. It's more than revival nights. Those are good. He uses all of that. But he's after us. He's after our hearts. He's after our souls. He's calling you. He's calling you to come higher, to come closer to him, to drop your nets. To drop your nets, church. The thing that you're holding on to tighter than the way you're holding on to God. It's an idol. And it represents your net. Could be your job, could be your career, could be your ministry. Could be relationships. Could be that addiction, pornography, drugs. The truth be told, what you're trying to do, you're trying to satisfy your soul with something that can't satisfy. He says, I'm the living water. Out of your belly, he said to the woman at the, at the, at the Samaritan well, he says, if you only knew who you were talking to, you would ask of me for living water and I will give you living water so that you won't thirst again. Because you, the reason why you have five men and a friend, Samaritan woman, is because you're trying to satisfy something in your soul that the men can't. So you keep adding them. Well, sexual addiction or relational addiction was, was her drug of choice. What's yours? I'm going to leave you with this, and I, I know they're going to close out. We have the service tonight. Bring someone. Seriously, bring someone. Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacle, and they're arguing about who he is. Is he the Messiah? Is he not the Messiah? We're not quite sure. And the Pharisees are there and they're upset because why is he, they even thinking that he's the Messiah? He can't be the Messiah because he's, he's from Galilee. And they're arguing and it's a large crowd because the Feast of Tabernacle is one of the largest events on the Jewish calendar. So there's hundreds and thousands of people that are gathered. And while they're arguing about who he is, Jesus stands up in the middle of the crowd and he stands up in this crowd today and he says, if any man thirst, if any man thirst, if anyone is thirsty, come to me. You're arguing about who I am. Come to me and I will give you living water the Lord is making that same shout today and you can say but we're in the church these were religious people and yet they weren't drinking from him so that leads you to argue about things that don't matter so he's saying to you today, CLC, are you thirsty? Come to the living water because what you're drinking cannot satisfy. Drink from the well that doesn't stop giving. So out of your belly can flow life.
You're no longer hunkered down with the issues of life. No, life comes up out of you. It's not you, it's the one in you. As you go home, I want you to be in that car when you get in that house, because you're going to come back tonight. You eat or whatever you do before you come back tonight. I want you to just keep saying to Jesus, give me this living water. Give me this living water, Jesus. I don't want to thirst for nothing but you. Fill my cup, Lord. It's dry and empty. So I find myself at the bottom of the alcohol bottle looking for something to quench my thirst. And when it's done, I'm still thirsty. And so I put the needle in my hand or I sleep with this one or that one or I pop those pills because I am dry and empty. And Jesus says, you haven't tried the living water. So as you're driving home, when you're in that house and people are wondering, what are you talking about? All you're saying is give me this living water that I will not thirst again. I'm tired of coming back to a well that can't satisfy. I'm tired of drawing water out of this well and I keep having to come back because it doesn't quench my thirst. So we're gonna close here. But I want you to have that on your heart. When you worship God, you invite the water giver. You worship God and you, from a lifestyle of worship, you give a pathway for the well of living water to come into your life. Worship is your access into the holy of holies. It's your worship, it's your lifestyle of worship. And in that place, nothing else matters. In that place, your worship, yes, it becomes a weapon against the enemy, but that's not why you worship. That's just a byproduct. And yes, it is a witness to those around you, but again, that's a byproduct that God uses. Worship is because God is, because God is worthy. He's worthy of my worship. He's worthy of my praise. He's worthy of my adoration. And I'm so grateful that I get to worship a God like this. I don't deserve him. So how can I seal up my worship? because I'm going through a hard time. That's finicky worship. That's superficial worship. That's religious worship. And the Lord would rather not have it. But worship comes from a place of a surrendered heart. And when it does, your cup is getting fuller and fuller and fuller until the point it bubbles over. It's life-giving to everyone that comes around you. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you, Lord God, that you call us and you, you bid us to come and follow after you. And when we do, Lord, you use our lives as, as a witness unto you.
You use our lives to be a demonstration of what you can do with a life that's fully surrendered to you. And when people see the light that's in us, it doesn't draw people to us. The goal of the light is to draw people to you. Lord, would you use our lives as a witness? Yes, we want our worship to be a weapon against the enemy, but ultimately what we want, God, is to be used as a witness for you of who you are and what you can do so that those around me, on the job, in the home, in the community, no on the airport, in the airplane, you can use it all for your glory. For people like Jake, people like us, to be drawn into your redemptive plan. And oh God, we ask you, before we leave this place, would you fill our cups? Lord, would you, would you pour and never stop pouring? Lord, we want this water that gives life. We want it, Lord. Forgive us for drinking after stuff that can't last, but we come back to you, Jesus, and we ask that you would give us this living water so that we wouldn't thirst again. Would you drench us in this water, Lord? And when we're, we're drifting from the well into other wells that don't satisfy, we pray a holy conviction to fall upon us and lead us back the living water. Lord, we honor you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.